Welcome to Fringe with Benefits. We have made it to episode 65, people. I am so totally stoked to be on my way to episode 100. It's too far in the future for me to see what it'll be like, but I'm here for it. I hope you will be, too. In case you didn't know, I'm Stacy, podcaster, extraordinaire, naked and afraid veteran, and founder of Inward Survival, and I am back at you for another round of the unusual and the irritating. If I'm a Karen, I don't care. I will straight up out Karen and out Ken and anyone this side of the Mississippi. So once again, I come to you to scramble your brain on all things anomalous, peculiar, weird, and abnormal. Now let's party. Stacy's socials this week is on fire. I've got all kinds of things that I want to talk about, and a lot of them are gruesome, so I can just give you a trigger warning right now. If you don't want to hear it, you might want to skip through, but I thought I should give you fair warning. Okay, the first story is an update on that Matthew Coleman QAnon killed his kids in Mexico thing. Some really weird new stuff has come out. Now, it seems like People Magazine's the only place that's reporting on this. Documents filed last month in support of a federal search warrant are offering new details about Matthew Coleman. He's the Santa Barbara surf instructor who was accused of killing his two young kids with a spear fishing gun in Mexico after allegedly being influenced by QAnon conspiracy theories. According to the affidavit of an FBI agent, during an interview with the FBI after his arrest last summer, Coleman told agents that while he was in Mexico before he murdered his kids, He'd laid in bed seeing all the pieces decoded like the Matrix and that he was Neo. Weird, right? He said visions and signs revealed that his wife, Abby, possessed serpent DNA. This is just a a revisit of what we've talked about before. He mentioned that he was not sure if his wife was a shapeshifter and had passed it on to his kids and that all things were pointing to the idea that his children have corrupted DNA and will spread if something is not done about it. He discussed time travel, teleportation, and his two kids were telling him about babies being placed in fireworks, food, and walls. Weird. He also said that his two-year-old son had told him his wife and a family friend were abusing him and his sister and that he eventually saw the big picture and he had to kill his children to prevent them from becoming an alien species that would release carnage over the earth. I personally have been trying to follow this story, but it's really difficult. There's still no mugshot that's been released, nor any interviews. Very strange, because usually... Somebody who's committed um, um, familicide or killed their kids, a high-profile case. Usually there's a lot of press out there. Definitely mugshots released. I mean, you just see a lot more. And in this this case, you just haven't really been seeing very much. Next is this horrific story of this poor mom who finds her son's head in a bucket in the basement. Her son's severed head was in a bucket, um, and this has led to murder charges against this Wisconsin woman. If you look at this story, this chick looks relatively normal. I mean, a little on the rough side, but she looks just like a normal, you know, 20, 30-year-old woman. 25-year-old victim, and the suspect, she's 24-year-old, is Taylor Shaw Business, (laughs) which is funny. This is what she said. 
When they asked her what happened to him, she said, quote, that's a good question. And then she described the day spent with the victim smoking meth and then engaging in sex that turned very violent. Green Bay Police Chief Christopher Davis said officers responded to the home February 23rd around 3 a.m. after a call about a suspicious death. Now, this mom must have been out of her fucking mind freaked out. I don't know why they don't go into that, but you just you find your 25-year-old kid's head in a bucket in your basement. I don't even know. I would be freaking the fuck out. Mom was awakened by the sound of a slamming door around 2 or 3 a.m., went downstairs to check on a light that had been left on. That's when she found this horrible scene. Investigation led detectives to another location where they took a person of interest into custody. The criminal complaint says police found shabiznis at her home where she had dried blood on her clothing and in her van, they located a crock pot containing what the complaint says were additional human body parts, including legs. Back at the residence of the victim's mother, police recovered the head and a male organ in the bucket, so she left his penis. And in a separate storage tote, an upper torso, and then they recovered some knives, too. This chick told officers that her and the victim had smoke, smoked meth, while spending the previous day together, and that after arriving at this kid's mom's house, he's living in her basement, right? They engage in sex that incorporated chains, and allegedly she said she blacked out and then just went crazy and started to strangle this guy. I think they were, like, choking each other and just being really weird. She said she didn't mean to kill him, but enjoyed the choking and continued to do it. Shabiznis responded that the police were going to have fun trying to find all the organs she dismembered, and she added that she stated she used knives that she obtained from the kitchen of the residence and that a bread knife worked the best because of the serrated blade. She told officers where they would find the knives in a black bag, along with the additional body parts. She made the comment at one point that she got paranoid and lazy and she thought it was the dope that was making her paranoid. She also stated the plan for her was to bring all the body parts with her, but she got lazy and only ended up putting the leg and the foot in the van, and she forgot the head. He goes on to say the facts alleged are extremely concerning and disturbing and go to the violent nature and grave nature of the uh, offense. The bond for her was set at $2 million, and she's been charged with first-degree intentional homicide, mutilating a corpse, and third-degree sexual assault. She's being held in the Brown County Jail. So, I mean, not only did she kill this guy, she continued to have sexual relations with his dead body. Like, she, bitch was out of her fucking mind. That's what meth will do to you. I mean, if you weren't already a nutbag, you're, you're going to be a nutbag if you use that stuff. Next is a New York Post article. This has kind of been in the news a lot about this 300-year-old supposed mummified mermaid that's got this humid face. This thing's weird. Of course, all these stories are linked below like they always are. So supposedly, mummified mermaids will grant immortality to whoever tastes its flesh. And scientists are going to probe this thing to find out its real nature. It's a 12-inch creature supposedly caught in the Pacific Ocean off the Japanese island of Shikoku between 1736 and 1741. That's really specific, right? Now it's being kept in a temple in the city Asakuchi. Asakuchi. Asakuchi? Asakuchi. I have no idea. 
It's got a grimacing face, pointed teeth, two hands, hair on its head and its eyebrows, and it has an eerily human appearance except for its fish-like lower half. Researchers from the Kurashiki University of Science and Arts have taken the mummy for CT scanning to unravel the secrets. Hiroshi Kinoshita of the Okiyama Folklore Society said the bizarre creature could have religious significance. He said that Japanese mermaids have a legend of immortality. If you eat the flesh of the mermaid, you will never die. There is a legend in many parts of Japan, he said, that a woman accidentally ate the flesh of a mermaid and lived for 800 years. Could you imagine? There is also a legend that a mermaid predicted an infectious disease, said Hiroshi. An historical letter dated 1903, apparently penned by a former owner, was stored alongside the mummy and gives a story about its history. The letter states that a mermaid was caught in a fish-catching net in the sea off Kochi Prefecture. The fisherman who caught it did not know it was a mermaid, but took it to Osaka and sold it as an unusual fish. My ancestors bought it and kept it as a family treasure. It's unclear how or when this, this mummy actually came to the temple in Asakuchi, but the chief priest, Kozen Kuida, said it was put on display in a glass case some 40 years ago, and it's kept in a fireproof safe now. He said we have worshipped it, hoping it would help alleviate the coronavirus pandemic, if only slightly. <laughs> There's been a follow-up. Even though these priests worshipped this mummified thing, Mr. Kinoshida believes that it was deliberately manufactured during the Japan's Edo period, which spanned from 1603 to 1867. He said, of course, I don't think it's a real mermaid. He thinks that it was made for export to Europe or for spectacles in Japan. This legend of mermaids still remains in Europe, China, Japan, and all over the world. And he said he could imagine that people at the time were very interested in it. It was probably a money-making scheme. He says, I think it's made from living animals, and we would like to identify them from C by CT scans or DNA testing. So I think they're going to figure out this is a hoax. There was another hoax very similar in the same part of the world made from a top half of an orangutan and the bottom half was a salmon. Weird, right? Could you imagine putting together this little thing and then mummifying it and then selling it <laughs> and then people worshiping it? Could you imagine? Next is some um, total propaganda news from NPR. This is um, striking new evidence that's supposedly pointing to the seafood market in Wuhan as the origin. So they're really still pushing this idea. It says that over the weekend, an international team of scientists published two extensive papers online offering the strongest evidence to date, which is bullshit, that it originated from animals in the market. They conclude that the coronavirus most likely jumped from a caged wild animal into people at the seafood wholesale market in Hunan. And that's when the outbreak began. Scientists who were not involved in the research papers are calling the new data very convincing and a blow to the lab leak theory. And that the virus somehow escaped from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which does research on coronaviruses. In addition to these papers, they say that the newly published data is tipping the scales towards wildlife sold at the market. And I put a little excerpt here. Don't be a sucker, okay? Neither of the, it goes on to say that neither of these papers provide a smoking gun, no proof, but they say they come close. 
So this is basically going to convince a bunch of people that this is this is the real story. And they provide photographic evidence of wild animals that were infected and that would shed it sitting in the market in late 2019, such as raccoon dogs and a red fox. So it goes on to say, what's more, the caged animals are shown in or near a stall where scientists found it on a number of surfaces, including cages, carts, machines. The papers are all preliminary and they need to be reviewed by outside scientists. Maybe they should be reviewed by the 17,000 scientists that are saying that it has features that are conducive with an engineered compound. Photographic and genetic data pinpoint at a specific stall where it was likely transmitted from animal into people, and a new genetic analysis estimates the time within weeks when not just one but two spillovers occurred. I think that's what it's called as a spillover. It predicts that it jumped into people once in late November or early December and then again a few weeks later. Now let's, let's go back to what happened in November of 2019. Charles Lieber, scientist at Harvard University, him and like two or three Chinese um, nationalists that were students at Harvard, they were all caught at the airport with vials with something in it. And they got into trouble. The Department of Justice charged them. They went to jail. I'm I'm not sure what's happened since then. I'm going to have to look into that. But that happened in November. Then, of course, we had the outbreak over in China. That's when we started seeing bodies on the news. And then it came here December. And then we all know what happened from there. Next is, um, you know, a little bit more lighthearted. It's a YouTube video. Make sure to click it and watch it if you haven't seen it already. But it's this really neat video of a bull rider who's been bucked off and knocked unconscious. And his father jumped on him to shield him from the bull, potentially saving his life because this bull comes at him and hits him. But his dad's right there. So he wasn't as injured. I would totally do this for my kids in a heartbeat. And it was really sweet and, and totally heartwarming linked below if you haven't seen it. Next is another um, machine-derived story about the global death toll from the pandemic. Surpassed 6 million on Monday, it says, according to John Hopkins. And then the big picture. Okay, this is quoted from the article. The big picture. As the pandemic enters its third year, deaths from the virus are now largely seen among mostly unvaccinated people. AP reports. Bullet points. The risk of dying from the virus in the U.S. is 41 times higher for unvaccinated adults than it is for adults who are fully vaccinated and boosted, says the CDC. Next bullet point. The U.S. has recorded the most confirmed deaths with more than 958,000 people dying from the virus, followed by Brazil and then India. I wonder why. Is it because we're treating them with remdesivir? Last bullet point, between the lines, the actual number of deaths is believed to be higher due to possible data concealment, poor record keeping, and cases that were overlooked. Now, there's some significance in the number 6 million. There's also an article attached from the Renegade Tribune about the 6 million myth. And I do believe that this article is total propaganda to push people to get vaccinated. Now we've got the 6 million figure that's been intri- has intriguing origins because this has actually been repeated 
in atrocity propaganda, this article calls it, from the years 1890 through 1945, even before World War II. There is um, this thing called swindle speak that's happening in the news, in the entertainment media. And Vladimir Lenin once said, a lie told often enough becomes the truth. So there's a lot of deceit going on, and there's a lot of significance in a lot of these numbers that these, um, these media put out. So pay a lot of attention to that. Next is Netflix actually suspends Russia's, so suspended its services as part of the protests against the Russian invasion of Ukraine, they're calling it. Along with this pullout, the streaming service will also pull all projects and acquisitions it had lined up in Russia. The suspension of Netflix service in Russia is the latest amidst several sanctions and the shutdown of several business operations in the country as forces continue to capture Ukrainian territories. Announcing the suspension, a spokesperson from Netflix said, quote, given the circumstances on the ground, we have decided to suspend our services in Russia, end quote. We should really stop punishing the Russian people for what leadership is doing. Next is the post-millennial article, Oregon Bill Declares Racism a Public Health Crisis. The Oregon Health Equity Task Force announced, announced that a bill declaring racism a health crisis in the state passed through both legislative chambers and heading to the governor's desk for signature. Governor Brown, lockdown Brown, right? House Bill 4052 entitled an act relating to equity and declaring an emergency requires that the Oregon Health Authority advised by advisory committee to be convened by authority to provide grants to operate two culturally and linguistically specific mobile health units as pilot program to improve health outcomes of Oregonians impacted by racism. This bill basically states that it'll create an advisory committee that will provide guidance on establishing funding and operating this pilot program the membership of this committee consisting of individuals from priority populations, public health and healthcare professionals, and 51% of the committee with decision-making authority to be members of these priority populations. So if you're white, you're probably not going to be on this committee. Now, priority populations, let's give you a definition for this. They're groups that disproportionately experience avoidable illness, death, or other poor healths or social outcomes attributable directly or indirectly to racism. This includes communities of color, indigenous tribes, immigrants, low-income families, and more. This pilot program will administer grants only to entities that demonstrate their ability to serve these priority populations, ability to conduct meaningful community engagement, and have previously established relationships with one or more priority populations. HB 4052 acknowledges that Oregon's very founding as a state, which was rooted in racist ideals, which is something I had just learned. My daughter informed me that you weren't even allowed to go into Oregon if you were black when it was first founded. So obviously they're doing some remedi remediation from that. So it continues to say that while the black exclusionary laws are no longer on the books, the damaging impact of these and other racist policies continue to exist within our present day policies and systems perpetuating health disparities. HB 4052 calls for accelerated intentional actions to heal these injustices and articulate strategies and investments to address 
health inequities. Last is this awful story. It's a little old. It's from uh, several months ago, but I, I thought that it was important to include because this woman lost her life due to the jabby jab jab. Lisa Shaw, who worked for BBC Radio Newcastle, she died at age 44. She was developing headaches a week after getting her first dose of AstraZeneca. The coroner said she suffered blood clots in the brain, which ultimately, so it was bad. I don't know if anybody's seen any pictures of some of these blood clots, but it, it's absolutely awful. The coroner said she died due to the complications of the AstraZeneca COVID vaccination. Miss Shaw was previously fit, and it, they concluded that it was clearly established that her death was due to this very rare vaccine-induced thrombotic thrombocytopenia. This is a condition, condition that leads to swelling and bleeding of the brain. Miss Shaw was a mother of one. She received her first dose on April 29th, and then on May 13th, she was taken by ambulance to the hospital because she had a headache for several days. In a statement, the doctor who treated her said she was complaining of having severe headaches, shooting and stabbing across her forehead and behind her eyes. Tests were carried out. Blood clots were found in her brain, prompting her to be moved to the neurology specialist unit. These clots are considered extremely rare. There have been 417 reported cases and 72 deaths. And Dr. Christopher Johnson, a consultant in anesthetics and intensive care, said that Miss Shaw had been conscious for several days and had been treated for the clots with drugs, which seemed to be successful. But on the evening of May 6th, she said the headaches were worse and she had difficulty speaking. Scans showed she had suffered a hemorrhage in the brain. After her condition deteriorated, part of her skull was removed to try and relieve the pressure inside her head. The condition continued to worsen despite more surgeries and treatments, and she died on the 21st of May. Dr. Tuomo Polvikoski, a consultant neuropathologist who examined her after her death, said given her history of being fit and healthy with no medical problems, it was surprising that she died of blood clots and bleeding in the brain. He said time-wise, it seems most likely that her death was indeed induced by this. They say that this condition was very rare, but they also agree with the doctor's findings. The Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency's Chief Safety Officer, Dr. Allison Cave, said they would be reviewing the coroner's verdict. She said the benefits of the vaccine, AstraZeneca, continue to outweigh the risks for most people. It is therefore, therefore still vitally important that people come forward for their vaccination and for their second dose when invited to do so. Dun, dun, dun. Very unsettling. Yep, yep, yep. This week. This week. What's going on this week? I'm still in a crappy mood. Like, would the world not decide to go to hell while I'm trying to piece my life together, please? It's as if someone took the chessboard and threw it up in the air and time slows down. And as all the pieces are up in the air suspended, and we don't know where the pieces are going to fall, would the fucking pieces fall already? The suspense is killing me. Gas is outrageous. Food is even more expensive. Bills are due. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to get paid in time to make due dates. The stress and the pressure is for sure real. And I'd like to let the success do the talking, but crickets, right? 
And also, I cannot stand complainers. I cannot deal with whiners. I cannot allow myself to fall into any of these categories. But damn, I'm under some serious stress. I am, I've been seriously unhappy. I'm dissatisfied with many aspects of my life. I'm not going to bullshit anyone. Things are really hard right now. But yet, I maintain a positive attitude for the most part. I try not to worry myself sick. And it's hard. I mean, if you've had hardships, you'll know what I'm talking about. And if you haven't, then you won't be able to relate to me regarding this at all. I'm not sure which I would prefer. To know this struggle and overcome it, or to never know this struggle and have nothing to overcome. The skills and accomplishments that come with overcoming difficulties cannot be bought. They must be experienced to be earned. I suppose I would prefer to be in this instead of never knowing what it's like to feel this. Went to a freedom rally um, over the weekend in Olympia. The crowd was pretty small. I'm always pretty disappointed when I, you know, invite people and they'd rather stay home than show their support. And to those that suit up and show up, I salute you. It makes big difference for sure. We need true support and community at this time if we're going to fix this mess. We must be proactive. Um, as far as the Randonaut adventure, that's still pending. Who can afford gas to Randonaut right now? So stay tuned because I really want to bring this to you, the listeners. For business, find us on Facebook, Instagram, Minds Clapper, MeWe, Truth, Not the Bee, Parlor, Rumble, BitChute, and YouTube, Twitter, and Patreon, and Telegram. See below for the Telegram link. Visit Inward Survival's website. In fact, it's actually um, out of order right now because I can't afford to pay my website subscription. But it, when it is up and running, which it will be soon, it's InwardSurvival.com. You can sign the mailing list and donate to Inward Survival. Like I said, wait a little bit because I can't afford to pay for the website right now. It's out of order. Um, subscribe, rate, and review Fringe with Benefits, please. And share the show. And please go visit the Fringe with Benefits Anchor homepage linked below and click the support the show button if you want to give a monthly contribution. Feel free to do that. I might even take away the monthly contribution aspect so I can use actual Spotify music in the podcast because that would be really cool to use copyrighted music. Actually music that I like instead of some of this strange stuff that I've been using. But I'm just grateful for that too. Anyways, that's what I got. You know, you can send us a mail on Fringe with Benefits. The mailbag is fringewithbenefits at protonmail.com. That's fringewithbenefits at protonmail.com. This week, Jennifer sent us a little story. So she said that the for a couple of years, she's noticed strange things, footsteps at night. Seeing things in the corner of her eyes, and then she looks, and there's nothing there. She said that was in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and then three years ago that was going on. And then she said her sister suggested that she sage the house, and then a painting flew off her wall when she saged the house. And that was in uh, two years ago in Clarkston, Washington. The last couple of months here, she's back in North Carolina, she said, my stuff has been misplaced. My electronics are going haywire and there's a bad smell. It seems unusual that all of that's going on. She said, is it a ghost or is it in my head? She's like, hopefully it makes sense. It totally makes sense. Thank you, Jennifer. I, I said, uh, is this still going on and what's the smell like and what's the painting that flew off the wall? And of course, thanks for the submission. I appreciate it. She said, it's still going on, and it's been like this for years. So maybe something she has is following her. 
She said she used to blame her brother when stuff went missing, but then she'd find it under stuff, and then she'd put it back in the same spot. She said the smell, it smells like rotten eggs or a nasty fart. She said it's really gross. She hears a clap in the middle of the night, too. And she said she'll, she makes herself go to bed because she's, like, noping the fuck out of there. She said it's crazy. She didn't mention what painting flew off the wall or if, it, if that had any kind of significance. But, Jennifer, thank you so much for your submission. And, um, man, good luck. Let me know if there's anything else that happens. Just keep us in the loop because we want to know what's going on. Because, obviously, you have some serious activity going on everywhere you go. I'm wondering what's going on. And for the rest of y'all, if you have any ghost stories or any weird occurrences or strange things that are happening to you in your home or at a family member's home, send it to me at fringewithbenefits at protonmail.com. Or if you would like to be on the show and be interviewed because of some strange happenings, be sure to email me as well. Welcome back to Fringe with Benefits. I have a real treat for you this week. Gordon Arendelle is here with us. It's actually Twyla's husband, which is awesome. And he is also a member of the Grace Harbor Ghost Hunters. He is an ex-surfboard builder, custodian, fisherman, lover of the outdoors, definitely a surfer. He's got a lot of really cool hobbies, and he loves to be outdoors. Say hello to everyone at Fringes with Benefits, Gordon. Hello, everybody out there. So you've had a lot of experiences, like several. Well, you don't think there's been a lot, but compared to what I've experienced, there have been a lot. Let's start with... um, what you experienced in the San Diego surf shop? I had a boss that we worked at a company buy out another man's business. Unfortunately, he fell ill with uh, colon cancer, but his favorite team rider that rode all his boards like a test pilot uh, had passed away of cancer also a few years before. I was up in the loft of the shop, um, climbed up a precarious rail, and while I was up there, I ran into this fellow's surfboards. And I admired them because he was an icon in San Diego while he was healthy. And I moved on across the top of the loft. Now there's no safety rail up there at all. And the ladder was precarious. And my friend had been down below. Well, as I got over to the edge where I could actually fall off of, something nudged me from the back with enough force I had to lean back or I was going to go over. And I wasn't looking directly at the ladder, so I spun around thinking my friend was there hitting me with a broom handle or something that was up there, and there was nobody there, and I yelled to him, There, where are you? (laughs) And he was in the other room, way far away. There was nobody up there. I looked back at the surfboards, and I said to myself, I'm sorry. said the man's name. I won't be back up here to to, uh, rummage through your personal belongings. So who do you think it was? Uh, His name was Chris O'Rourke. Chris, no doubtedly, probably would have gone on to be a world champion, at least a competitor. And we all watched him, and there were a number of films and stuff of him that we would see. Because it was a kind of a, a fun thing to do. You'd go to people's houses and see the latest raw footage, slides, mm-hmm. and uh, I think it was Super 8 film back there, maybe 16, but I don't think it was that professional. But this oh. guy was a real insane surfer. So how did he die, do you know? Uh, Hodgkin's, I believe, lymphoma. Wow. And he had a number of operations. It was really sad one day at the beach, some uh, some guys were calling him a skinhead. And he's, he told them that, I'm not a skinhead. That was when that term was just being developed. Mm-hmm. He says, I have you know terminal cancer and I'm fighting it as best I can. I've lost all my hair. And the look on the fellow's face that was given in grief was 
you know, just punishment. What an asshole. Yeah. God. So that was sad. But yeah. I never went back up into that loft. I worked there another seven years and never even thought of going up there. Wow, really? Yeah. Um, also, so, okay, I've got a list of things here, which just makes it really fascinating. Okay, so you worked in custodial work at a corrections facility, right? Yes, yes. So what, tell us what happened there. Um, my job was to teach trustees, uh, inmates that were on good behavior, signed up for the program to learn how to do custodial work. I taught them how to clean. Anyway, our forte was the medical floor. So we had to do very good work and quick. Mm -hmm. So anyway, we're working our way through a nurse's station, which had a little opening going into a big square. And uh, I stepped on in and watched. You had to keep a good eye on them. Um, you had to, I was watching them very closely, and I was kind of blocking off the entrance exit of that little space while a nurse was doing a report on the computer. And while I'm standing there, the other two trustees were behind me, four and all, and something pushed me out of the way. And I'm not talking just like six inches. I'm talking like a foot and a half. And went you, it went by me. Whoa. Like if it was you walking through that little uh -huh. opening, you wouldn't have fit. So this thing pushed me out of the way, and they all saw it and looked up in absolute disbelief. And I spun at them and said, did you see that? Holy shit. So and, they were all like pretty freaked out. Did you guys talk about that afterwards? Absolutely. Or? Yeah. The nurse at the station told us there was a lady in a red hat that has been seen in the facility on that floor quite a few times. And uh, she had passed away from cancer years before. People have actually witnessed her go into a restroom. And finally, they, they're waiting to give this person they thought go in there some privacy. Finally, they go in and there's nobody in the restroom. Whoa. <laughs> and they were right at the door waiting for them to come out. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's... Pretty intense. That one still gives me goosebumps. Yeah, that's nuts, man. Did, did they say what kind of red hat? Was it like the... It sounded like... They described a little bit. I, my, Twyla has one. It's kind of a floppy, uh -huh. knitted uh, uh, hat, like rattan or something like yeah, that. Yeah, like Carmen Sandiego hat, kind of? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what I imagined, but yeah. I don't know, honestly. I don't know why a nurse would wear a hat, but everybody comes in usually in street clothes, and then gets into their garb mm -hmm. for the day. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, uh, before we move on to your other uh, stories, let's talk about your your belief system. Like, how have you always been a believer in the paranormal? Has this always affected you this way, or is it just these last few years? Definitely ramped up when I met Twyla, and I involved myself with the San Diego Paranormal Group. And on one of the meetings, I would give them grief about how come all of you want to see something, and when you do, you freak out, <laughs> you know. But uh, I was at a school down there in San Diego doing substitute work, and I had a place where I could walk into this 10-square-foot area, and the hair would stand up on my arm. And Twilight actually visited a few days later. I said, come on, you got to go to this area, because every day it was there. Mm -hmm. It had moved. No kidding. It wasn't there anymore. Anyway, we went to walk away, and she felt something. And we walked into this room that was a science class. Uh-huh. My hair on my arm stood back up. She goes, it's in here. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I forgot about that incident. But, you know, as you start talking about it, you remember more. Yeah, yeah. Um, your dad passed away. I'm really sorry about that. Um, yeah. What happened? Tell me what happened when you went to spread his ashes. Well, uh, 
let me back up a hair. The day he died, the next day, one of my really good friends took me fishing, and he made a cast that day, and the, the uh, fishing line hovered in the air 30 feet off the water. And he reeled it in and cast it again and did the same thing. Another man came in a big fancy red metal flake bass boat and looked over and said, isn't this when we get hit with lightning? And that's, that's uh, important, the fact that I told my dad when he was really ailing, if, if he passed away and came back to visit, to hit me between the eyes with a sign because I'd be dumb to it. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh my God, that's pretty, pretty evident. Yeah. But that was only the, you know, the tip of the iceberg, really, because four years later, I came to San Diego, and that very same person took me out in his boat four miles off the coast where Pop and I spent a lot of time And uh, as I was a young teenager. And uh, he asked me if we wanted any pictures, you know. Mm -hmm. And I was a little emotional because I'm holding the box with Dad's ashes in it. Yeah. And I said, well, go ahead and take it. If we don't want them, you know, we can discard them later. He's an avid photographer. So it was a low ceiling that day, not drizzling, but almost ready to, and a supermarine layer, we would call it, with quite a swell that day. It was real bumpy. And the first picture of me dumping the ashes in is very gray. You can tell that, you know. And as the ashes fell in and dispersed, the clouds above us cracked open with what you see, sunbeams. Yeah. Shining down right on our boat. Wow. And you can see it in the next progressive photos, brighten up in that crystal blue water, because we're over by the 100 fathom curve that just drops off into beautiful, you know, none of that inshore green look at all. Yeah. Anyway, a tuna boil came up around us, and Mark, he brought fishing poles and some live bait, because we're not going outside without some fishing poles. Yeah. Tuna boil came up, we caught four baby bluefin tuna, about 10 pounds each. And a mako shark started breezing through, and I held a jig over on a rod, and it bit it. Whoa. Came out of the water, grabbed the jig, and we wrestled it, ended up landing that. And uh, it's a very fine-eating fish. And uh, all of a sudden, the clouds choked back up. Sunbeams were gone. It went to low ceiling. Tuna boil left. And he grabbed me by the shirt, by the front of the shirt, and shook me and said, if I hadn't seen that with my own eyes, words would have never given it justice. Wow. And that hit me between the eyes. Yeah. And I have no doubt Pop made that one really clear. For sure. Yeah, that yeah. was, that was, that's pretty extraordinary. I, yeah. I don't think I've ever heard a story like that. No, that was... no. Every time I tell, I, I almost get emotional even now. You know, yeah. It's been 20 years or so, but Pop, Pop loved the ocean. I loved mm -hmm. the ocean. He always said he created a monster in me because I spent all my money on fishing tackle. <laughs> but he did teach me how to tinker and he the love for the outdoors. Mm -hmm. So God bless him. Yeah, I think I experienced something similar in Africa when I, I was talking to my dad. He had passed away just just days before I left for that oh my challenge. Gosh. Yeah. Two weeks. And I was aiming my slingshot at these birds up in the tree. And I was like, come on, Dad, let me hit it. And I fucking hit it. I couldn't believe it. But I knew at that very moment is that he was there looking after me. And he taught me how to shoot. And There you go. Yeah. And so... My yeah. only regret with uh, the Mako shark was Pop believed in reincarnation. I thought, God, I hope that shark wasn't him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe, but probably not. Probably I not. don't know. Yeah. But he probably definitely brought him along. Yeah. You know, they... That experience. Th that's what they say, that... They're able to 
coax animals or make conditions in which you know kind of like open our eyes to it and anytime we I, think I, I guess I think I would call it metaphysical you know yeah uh, an anomaly for sure yeah and for that if it was a coincidence what all all those things had to line up perfectly right no such thing yeah I yeah. just don't think it's possible no way absolutely not wow um, okay, so what is this about the 8th Street House? East oh, 8th Street House. Tell me about that. That was a really good one. My ex-wife at the time, um, we lived in Oregon, and we'd moved up from San Diego after she got her nursing degree and uh, occupied a house that her dad had bought for his son. Mm -hmm. Well, the son bailed, and we had a place free to live in until we got our feet on the ground. Well, come to find out, there was an old lady that had passed away there. And they said she was a very loving, kind lady and all. Didn't know anything about that yet. But I'm down in the basement where I kept all my fishing gear with this stairway that you call a ladder uh -huh. to get down into it. But it was very low in the um, basement. And the boards were like one by fours. And you could see light through them from the threadbare carpet. Oh, weird. Wow. So you could see at nighttime the lights would shine barely through those cracks. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, one day I was down there, um, I heard footsteps coming from over here by the door and went across my head and I looked up in that light from the hallway. You could see a shadow stepping across and progressing down to the bedroom on the right. There was one right next to each other, two on the right. Kids were in one and the wife was in the other. And I yelled, damn it, you guys are supposed to be asleep. No answer. Mm. The steps progressed back and just quit. I, I ran right up there because I'm going to spank them. Yeah. They were snoring. They were dead asleep. And the wife was completely asleep. They had not gotten up. Wow. Yeah. So anyway, uh, the next thing that told us about that um, was my son had a fever. He had the flu. And the wife was on the couch kind of stroking his head with a cold washcloth and everything like that. And he kind of opened his eyes at one point and looked over at me. I was heading for the little kitchen, kind mm -hmm. of like it is right here. And as I got over there, he screamed, there's a lady there. There's a lady there. I can see through her. And I stepped over to go, where is she, Blake? Where is she? And all of a sudden, she goes, you're standing inside of her. Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, he fell back asleep. Now call that a hallucination or call him sensitive at that moment because he's uh -huh. a newbie Dooville yeah. from being sick. But by damn, we later on found when we broke down the bedroom above his bunk bed, it said, God is good. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Come to find out he was scared to death. Yeah. And uh, he saw other things supposedly. And really? That was his way of feeling safe. Wow. <laughs> so he wrote that. Yeah. He wrote that God right above good. it. You know, the little slats go over a bunk yeah. bed. Yeah. So he was experiencing stuff probably that whole time. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't keep much in touch with him anymore, and I don't know that he would really remember it because he was about six. Mm -hmm. They're starting to remember stuff around then. But uh, it was influential on us. Anyway, come to find out, talking to people, they told us about the old lady there, and we were absolutely content that she was just checking in, making sure the family was okay. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was kind of a neat that is awesome. A neat reason, you know? Nobody's haunting us. She's just checking in, yeah, making sure everybody's cool. But did you guys, like, shit yourselves when he said there's a lady standing over there? I got goosebumps. Yeah. Kind of did the... <laughs> <you know>? <laughs> <laughs> That's spooky. Yeah. Oh, my Fun God. Stuff. 
Um, tell me about, okay, well, you were out hunting. You, know, you spent a lot of time hunting. Anything happen out there in the woods that make you kind of second guess what the hell was going on? Yeah, I mean, anybody that's out in the outdoors a lot, and the more I hunted, the more I liked to be alone, because two people make twice the noise. Yeah. Yeah, I started learning things about taping buckles and wearing pants to go shlush shlush against each other. Um, so alone a lot. And I don't know if it has anything to do with uh, paranormal or anything. I never saw Sasquatch or anything like that. But I had incidents where I'm scraping a turkey call and all wildlife cease to make noise. Mm. And that's about the time you think you're on the dinner plate. Yeah. Something big was coming in. I even had something walk up on me one time, very big and heavy. And I had my back up against a little pine tree. And... I had a netting on, you know, so the turkeys wouldn't see me and my <laughs> respiration tripled and, you know, I've got Whoa. condensation coming out of the net and everything. I hit the safety, took it off because I had a shotgun and uh, you could hear it step away. The grass was about three feet tall and it left. And when I got up and looked around the backside of this little pine tree that was about four feet tall, there were gigantic footprints. Like so bipedal, it was something on two feet. Uh, yeah, not necessarily. Okay. It could have been a cougar. A friend of mine killed a cougar there two years later. and uh, But it was a lot of turkey. It could have been a turkey. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, they come in at 20 pounds, a lot of them. Wow, yeah. And that would make... I'm not good enough at tracking. It's all self-taught. Nobody mm -hmm. ever showed me anything. I learned it all by myself. Right. Well, I can't say that. I had a good friend that told me a lot of it. And we went together a few times. He explained stuff to me. Like when you shoot a bear, shoot him twice or more. You oh. don't want him getting back up. <laughs> I never had an instance where I had to do it, but it was, make no mistake, they will charge you. Holy shit, that's good. Yeah, that's kind of That's eerie. more physical stuff about my love for the outdoors, but my ex-wife used to call me a sissy, and, you know, because I'd tell her the experiences, and I said, unless you're sitting there and you hear all, because you know, you've been in the outdoors, oh, yeah. there's just noise all the time, mm -hmm. especially when you sit down for 40 minutes, and it all comes alive again. Yeah. Anyway, when it all shuts off, there's a reason. She calls you a sissy. Has she I ever said, been out there by herself? No, no. <laughs> I told her, unless you're sitting there, you can't tell me how you're going to feel when these things happen to you. Because mm -hmm. you really do get more sensitized, you know, to your surroundings. Totally, yeah. Some people wear earphones to enhance it, you know. But, I mean, a normal person that goes out there will get better at noticing details. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I know that there was some weird stuff that happened. Twyla's mom, when she passed away, you experienced something interesting. Tell us about that. Um, once again, I was at the uh, correction facility working, and everybody around me knew that her mom was, you know, about to pass. And we almost uh, mixed up a bunch of stripper to do a big wax job, and that's when I got Twyla's call, and she's crying that mom had passed. Mm-hmm. Well, I made it out there in about 27 minutes and uh, came in. And, you know, of course, everybody was upset. Her ex-husband was there, and she was crying. And, you know, it was very upsetting. Yeah. Anyway, I walked in. Much like when my dad passed, I looked at all the the physical things, looking around me and thinking of, like, oh, I wonder if her spirit's hovering there and all that. And, yeah. And uh, I walked on in the room to say my goodbye because I liked the lady a lot. I didn't know her very well, but I used to bring her, like, a strawberry milkshake, and she'd squeeze my hand three times really Aww. good, so I knew she liked the gesture. Well, I walked in there, and all of a sudden when I looked up to come back out, it was like I had a second pair of eyelids 
just slightly outside of my own, a periphery. Yeah. That was very evident. And I felt right at that moment, her mom, Jerry, right, um, had connected with me and I needed to go tell Twyla to get in there right now. She needs to be, see you. And she went on in there and just as easy as the feeling came on me, it left. Wow. But that isn't it. Only thing, when she did the memorial for her mom, what, two years later? I think. A few months. A few months. Okay, I thought it was longer than that. Um, there was an incident when Twyla was up talking to the group. She put together a wonderful little memorial. And all of a sudden, I felt that same feeling. Did it tell you to do anything this time? No. No, it was just like... No, and that was just a feeling I yeah. had. I sat there, and I felt like she was watching her own memorial wow. with pride. Yeah, that's That's wonderful. how I felt, and I told her later on about it, you know, probably wept a few tears over it. Oh, yeah. But uh, it was unmistakable. You know, like if you said, hey, I had a second pair of eyelids on, you know, like it might be different the next time. Right. No, this was exactly the same feeling, like you put your hand like that, uh -huh. and there was like a little periphery out farther, and I didn't wear glasses at that time. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you just can't be... You can be a cynic. I'm one of those people who want to believe in the supernatural so much I could create it. But when these things randomly happen, you can't deny it. And, no. Um, consequently, I've turned into quite the cynic. When Twilight has stories about stuff, I'm always trying to discount it. Oh, bullshit. No, that didn't happen. Right. Like, really? Did it happen? Mm -hmm. Let's discount. That's why we have a, a few people that are... Um, what do you call them? Naysayers? Skeptics. Skeptics. Mm -hmm. And I think that's good because it keeps us honest. Absolutely, yeah. Because yeah, people like that. me might create it. Yeah. I want to see Sasquatch more than anything. I've been in the outdoors a lot. Mm -hmm. Never happened. Right. You know? But um, if it does happen, you know, I'm not going to deny it. Yeah. I'd like to know a few things in my life. Yeah. Squatch, aliens, <laughs> who killed JFK. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wouldn't we all? Yeah. Um, for some reason, it said to ask about Alpine when you were out. When you were oh, that's interesting. I, Twyla was in Alpine. We got to know each other on PlentyFish.com. Mm -hmm. And the trip out there I'd done many, many, many times years before. There was a lake called Lake Loveland. And my, it, you had to poach it. You'd go in the legal part, hop through the fence, and go to the other parts of the lake that had fantastic bass fishing. One of the very first trips I went out there, I'd had a dream about a little church on a four four-way stop. I went across this four-way stop and looked right over there and there was that, that church. Was it a church or just a structure? It might have been a church before that. You remember the four-way stop. Anyway, I'd seen that in my dreams many times and all of a sudden I'm driving through the four-way stop to go out to this fishing spot. I there told my is. friend, I've seen this. I've never been here in my life and I've seen it. Wow. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, that is really cool. Yeah. I think I think I've experienced Deja something vu. similar. Yeah, yeah, and Joe too. Like we've had repetitive dreams of particular locations or homes, places we'd never been in in real life, but we there's a familiarity there, mm -hmm. as if we had been there before. Just strange. Other souls were in us or something. Yeah. You know, it makes you really wonder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it could be anything. Could be anything. I don't know. Like many cases, we aren't rock solid proving anything, but it does create more questions mm -hmm. and the desire to know right um so you've worked in a lot of schools and schools are infamously really really creepy 
Um, you work at a high school locally here. Isn't there a photo on the wall of that high school that's really qu quite odd? It is, and one of the ladies going to be at this meeting in a while. Uh, she will vehemently say it's supernatural. Mm -hmm. Now, personally, knowing how photography was in 1917 or whatever that photo was taken at, might even been earlier, the garb that they're wearing in this photo is very, very old. Um, could have just been somebody walking off. A, there was a step behind her. They might have walked off the step and smeared that image. Yeah. But it is creepy looking. It is creepy. If you could get a copy, a picture of that, and Senator Twyla can get that, I'll yeah, post it on that. the page. Um, is there anything else that you want to talk about or anything you want to say to Fringe with Benefits? No, I'm really stoked that you have a program like this, and it's an honor to be on this program. Thanks. Um, and I look forward to hearing the interview, and uh, I'm going to check in other interviews, too. Awesome, yeah. We yeah. should do like a roundtable sometime where we get several of us together and just do some back and forth. We'll do that sometime. There's a fellow, Dave Lawrence, that's going to be here later, and he's got some great experiences. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, you might want to interview him because he's, he's an avid outdoorsman and had brushes with what he thinks is a Sasquatch. His wife's seen one, mm -hmm. and she's Native American, and uh, yeah, he's got a few instances in his house that just make you get goosebumps. Awesome! Yeah. I love it. All right, well, thank you so much, Gordon. Oh, we appreciate you, and uh, we'll have you back sometime. Excellent. Inward Survival School of Magic this week, we're going to talk about healthy mind and body habits. There are seven habits that will ensure a healthy mind and a healthy body. And they're simply daily lifestyle choices that we can all do. These seven principles are the foundation of the athlete's way philosophy. So they are the following. One, daily physicality. Exercise for at least 20 minutes most days of the week. And this is a necessity. This isn't, you know, this isn't just a suggestion. This is you have to work out every day. You have to do something every day or else you're just not, you're not up to par, honestly. Number two, intellectual curiosity. Spend time and focused thought exploring new ideas every day. Three, foster creativity. Challenge your mind to connect to unrelated ideas in new and useful ways. This will help grow your brain, literally. Establish new neural connections and just improve how your brain operates. Four, human unity. Create and maintain close-knit human bonds and a social support network. Fellowship is extremely important. We are social creatures. We need it. Five, spiritual connectedness. Identify a source of inspiration that is bigger than you. Whatever your concept of God is, if it's a universe, if it's nature, whatever it is, there's got to be something more than what meets the eye. There's got to be some sort of there's got to be some sort of connection to something greater than yourself. Number six, energy balance. Balance calories in, calories out, and reduce your carbon footprint. So, you know, you create more than you consume. This is a great concept to live by. It's an excellent virtue to make sure you're putting out more than you're taking in. Because if that balance is off, there's, you're going to be off. Number seven, voluntary simplicity. Embrace the liberty that comes from wanting and needing less. Simplicity just brings so much more peace into your life. Have you noticed that if you tidied up your space, how much better you feel? It's bizarre. And these are like real world 
magic that we can perform. So it goes on to say that adopting these habits into your daily routine will keep you healthy, happy, and young at heart. Daily physical activity is ultimately the single most important elixir for staving off negative impacts of modern life. As Hippocrates said, walking is the best medicine. Short, brisk daily walk can make all the difference in your long-term mental and physical health. If you want to be a resilient thought leader or innovator, you need to flex muscles in your mind and your body. Physical activity clears the cobwebs from your mind and makes you more creative. Almost every successful person I know who has an enduring career and remains prolific with fresh ideas has made the connection that regular physical activity is a requisite for his or her mental, physical, and professional longevity. Of course, you don't have to become an exercise fanatic. If you want to stay competitive in the modern world, you have to make physical activity a part of your daily routine. A generation ago, before the digital revolution, and accepting his 1950 Nobel Prize in Literature, Bertrand Russell, who was a zealot for the power of physical activity, addressed the pitfalls of modern living and offered some advice. She, he closes with a quote from his speech titled, What Desires Are Politically Important. Here we go. Our mental makeup is suited to a life of very severe physical labor. I used to I used, when I was younger, to take my holidays walking. I would cover 25 miles a day, and when the evening came, I had no need of anything to keep me from boredom. Since the delight of sitting amply sufficed. But modern life cannot be conducted on these physically strenuous principles. A great deal of work is sedentary. And the most manual work exercises on a few specialized muscles. Civilized life has grown altogether too tame, and if it is to be stable, we must provide the harmless outlets for the impulses which our remote ancestors satisfied by hunting. More seriously, pains should be taken to provide constructive outlets for the love of excitement. Nothing is more exciting than a moment of sudden discovery or, or invention, and many more people are capable of experiencing such moments than is sometimes thought. How's that for some weekly magic for you? Get out there and move your ass. Our stoic thought of the week goes to Aristotle. Poverty is the parent of revolution and crime. Knowing yourself is the beginning of all wisdom. And the high-minded man must care more for the truth than for what people think. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for joining us.